Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Well, hello, and welcome to Dave and Dia, your absolutely most favoritist trailblazers podcast in the whole universe, in, in the multiverse, in any dimension possible. I am Dave Deckard here with Dia Miller. And how are you feeling tonight, Dia? I am tired. I, you know, <laughs> we talked a little bit last week about how my family ended up with COVID. I'm mostly recovered, I think. I mostly back to normal, but still very fatigued, which I have heard can last for quite a while. So especially when I'm dealing with children that are not fatigued, uh, we get to 10 o'clock at night and I am more tired than normal. <laughs> so, but you know, I'm good. I'm good. That's good. Well, I mean, we're obviously still thinking about you and hoping for a continued recovery. Even if the symptoms last a while, we hope that you are on the mend and we'll do our best to pick you up. Hey, you know, it was a three and two weeks since we talked last. Uh, the Blazers beat the Pelicans twice. They beat the Mavericks once before everything fell off a cliff and then they lost by 40 to the Mavs and then lost tonight to the Nets. We'll get there. But hey, it's still three and two. They made up a game i suppose they have finished one game to the positive we'll take that yeah it's wild to me that within just a week they've played five games and i know the first one was immediately after we recorded but still even to have four games within a week's span like there there's so many back-to-backs in the second half of the season it's gonna be tough on them cj's still newly back nurk's still not recovered if we can stay where we're, you know, where we've got a winning record. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, so let's talk in the abstract for a second. How do you feel about these back-to-back homestands versus the same opponent? Did you like them? Did it seem weird? How, how was it for you? I don't like it. I don't mind watching it, but I think that mentally there's something about playing the same team two nights in a row. It's really hard to beat the same team two nights in a row. And I, I know that maybe as a controversial take, I've heard people kind of go both ways on that. But to me, uh, that's a hard thing because if you win, there's a sense in which you let your guard down a little bit. If you lose, there's a sense in which you are going to fight harder. It's this kind of weird place to be when you play the same team two nights in a row. And I think that there's some fatigue that comes with that too. I think, you know, going from one team to another where teams' strengths and weaknesses are different, it gives you an opportunity to play to that whereas when you have to play the same team two nights in a row you're essentially playing one really long game it seems like sometimes because you're playing the same team so I think for the players it's probably difficult I think you know if if these games were spread out we might have had a better shot whereas when they're back to back it seems like it's really hard to win too well this terribly small sample size agrees with you the first night of all three back-to-backs, the Blazers won. And right. the second night, they were one and two. 
And the first one, of course, was the hard one for people to take, which was the Timberwolves last week. And then the second loss was the 40-pointer to the Mavericks. So uh, we'll have to see more, but you may be on to something there. On the other hand, uh, maybe it works to your advantage if you get to play a better team. So who knows? In any case, the first win against the Pelicans was probably the most impressive, I'm guessing, because Zion Williamson and company were pounding it inside on the Blazers, just exposing their total lack of interior defense. And Portland was down, what was it, 17? 17? I think it was even more than 17, but within the last, I mean, there were periods of that game where they were down almost 30. But in the last six minutes, in the last, yeah, in the last six minutes, they were down 17 points and they came back and won, which is insane. I mean, a lot of people turn the game off. Right. So it was that bad where it was it was one of those games where you're looking at it like, yeah, no, we're not going to win this one. And then they did. Yeah, you could see Stan Van Gundy like you could see the wheels start to turn because he's been around and it's like, uh oh, young team. And uh oh, you could say, please let them almost learn the lesson, but not really have to learn the lesson. And just by the end of it, he did, you know, you could just see him throw up his hands like, oh, God. But hey, you know, New Orleans was vulnerable in that way because they are young. They thought they had it put away this will will be a good lesson for them but more importantly the Blazers did what they needed to do and of course another great performance by Damian Lillard loved it and to come back and win then the second night was also really good the Blazers played better defense that was about the only low scoring I mean they only allowed the Pelicans 93 which was the only time they kept an opponent not only under 100 but the only time they kept them under 115 in the last week so uh, New Orleans may not have been quite ready for that game i get it but portland still did a good job and it was their only claim to defense all week so you gotta love that the first game against the mavericks was more typical portland i thought they had a shootout with them everybody scored 125 119 i mean and the only reason it wasn't 140 to 150 is i think players got tired during the course of the game Uh, nobody was stopping anybody but portland came ahead in the shootout and then came the next night when in dallas just i mean Doncic just lawn mowered them and and everybody chipped in and dallas i thought ran it up even and uh it that was that was pretty humbling and pretty scary what did you think of the dallas series that first one was pretty fun to watch I'm not going to lie. It was it was a fun game to watch. I like watching them play defense. I feel like we don't get to see enough of that. I know that they're capable of it because we've seen it. We've seen flashes of it here and there. So I know that it's there. And I think seeing it play out that way was fun. The second game, I did not see a lot of. I had some stuff going on with the kids. And then it just honestly... When it was time to turn it on and I looked at the score, I thought, you know what? I'm not sure I can mentally handle this today. <laughs> so I did not. I only saw highlights and bits and pieces of that one. And I am 100% okay with that because it looked rough. It looked real rough. No one likes to lose by, what was it, 30 40. points? It was 40. 40. Ugh. Nobody likes to lose by 40 points. That's awful. But the fact is, just like a win is a win, a loss is a loss. It counts as one loss. We move on, leave it in the past, and hopefully learn from it and do better next time. That's about what I can get out of that. Yeah, there was no way to fix that. I mean, they did, things went okay in the first quarter. But then in the second quarter, Dallas just won, went on a tear, and it was Luka. 
I mean, it was Luca saying, okay, we're not going to wait till Dame time or Luca time or any time, but right now. And he never stopped. And yeah. the more he pounded away, A, the more points Dallas scored because it seemed like he never missed. But also, the more Portland's defense started to flag and they almost wanted to go toward him, but they all they ended up doing was shading away from other people whom the Mavericks then found. And not only was right. Luka hitting threes and threes and all kinds of shots and through the lane, now everybody else was dunking and rebounding and it just was a total collapse. I think basketball tends to be contagious. When you watch teams, when one guy gets on fire, they all start to kind of pick up that energy and pick that up. And it's the same thing when they start to fall apart it's very rare that a team is not all kind of in the same going the same general way and so for Luca to get hot and and do well like that the the rest of the team is picking up on that energy and you know we're we're coming off of just having had a, a good game against them I think it's hard again to go in and and win that and and that's got to be just a discouraging thing when you're struggling. This can happen with anybody, honestly. If one team gets hot and is really playing well and the other team is struggling, you're going to have a deficit. You're going to have a big gap there. And, and it happens. So, I mean, yeah, it, it sucks. It sucks to watch that happen with your team. But at the end of the day, it's a loss. It counts as a loss. It's okay. We'll get the next one. Hopefully. Well, they didn't, but that's okay. Yeah. So look, there there are lessons. You don't rest any lesson on one game, but there are things that some of these games showed. I mean, the first game against the Pelicans, again, we've learned over and over again how great Dame is. And if Dame's on your team, you always have a chance. So yeah. that was that huge comeback. Second one against the Pelicans that, you know, if the Blazers do defend at all, they're going to be a really good team. The problem is that they don't or they can't. And that was brought up a little bit in the first Maverick, Mavericks game, although that one was the least indicative. That one was just a game. But the second Mavericks game started to show again, if the Blazers have to bend their defense at all, it's trouble. Actually, we did see that in the first Pelicans game too. Once, once they had to go inside to stop Williamson, they couldn't. And also, they couldn't defend the arc. <laughs> So that was a problem. And that came up in spades the other direction versus the Mavericks. Once they had to go outside, they lost containment completely. The Blazers just cannot help. They cannot shade away in a team scheme and recover. And part of that, I think, is a foot speed issue. I mean, the Blazers are supposed to be big and the Blazers are supposed to be skilled, but they're not and never really have been fast. And this is an issue. If a player can bend them in a certain direction, they just don't recover. This also showed up, by the way, against the Nets. I mean, first of all, at the beginning of the game, they wanted to kind of trap James Harden the way other teams trap Lillard. They went to do it, and one pass, let alone two, and the Nets were open for an easy shot. There was just nothing after the ball got out of the trap. And the second place it really showed up is Brooklyn went with some Foot speed. They went with some fast offense. They scored in transition and they shot the ball within the first 10 seconds and Portland just could not recover. And 
Look, uh, it would be better if Nurkic were there because he's faster than Cantor, but Cantor's got nothing in that department. Dame and CJ, you know, they're really skilled, but they're not like foot speed demons, and they like to play in the half court. Uh, Covington as well. I suppose Derek Jones is fast, but he's one guy out of five. So the lack of speed combined with a lack of size because of injuries is really a potently bad combination for Portland and teams in the know can exploit it. And this is why you got to hope that they get their full lineup back because at least they'll be a little bit bigger, even if they're never going to get faster. Yeah, well, and you have to look at the fact that the Nets are, they're number two in the East, right? Is that correct? Yeah, well, their offense is number one, though. And now, granted, I know they were missing a lot of key players, but the Nets are stacked. They're a deep team this this season. And so you have to expect that they're going to come out. They're not going to make it easy. If anything, they're not going to make it easy. And I think, you know, they, they, they didn't. They played a good game. They played a better game than we did. And that, again, you know, those happen. Looking at the lineup that we have, uh, the schedule that we had, for this second half, this is a game I did not expect to win. Granted, I expected that they would have their full roster. So when I saw how many people were not going to be available, I kind of thought, okay, well, you know, maybe we have a shot here. Although we also were missing some people tonight. So I'm not super worried about this one. Again, this is one that I didn't really expect to win. But, you know, I mean, you win some, you lose some. And I know that's a cliche, but I just, we can't get super hung up in that. I think that we're seeing some good things and we're seeing some struggles. The fact is, if we don't make some changes and get some better defense, we're going to keep struggling. We can't just play decent offense and hope that that's enough. Like We have to be able to play defense and we're not doing that. And so we're losing. We're losing games that we would be winning if we could play better defense. We're not, I mean, other than that one pretty awful loss of 40 points, we're only losing games by a few points. So if our defense wasn't one of the worst in the league, even if our defense was in the middle of the league, we would be doing exponentially better because we're only losing games by a few points. You know, I mean, defense remedies that in a lot of ways. So it's frustrating to watch how well they can play and know that we're so close. We're so close. We just need some help with defense. And I just don't know how we get that. I don't know. I don't know how we get there. Well, let's get there in a second. But the problem is that everything the Blazers do, except for their offense, except for a really Lillard based offense can be countered. And that's the problem. It's not that it's not that the plan isn't sound. It's that there's too easy of an out. It's like the game's on easy mode for the opponent. Like if they know what's coming and know the right counter, they can beat it. Look at what happened against the Nets tonight as we speak. Ennis Cantor went crazy. Ten offensive rebounds. I mean, just dominated this game. It was everything you could ever want from him. Okay? But where does that put him in the offense? He's all the way down under the basket. He's sticking around to grab rebounds. He's not going to get back. He's not going to cover the 92 feet of the floor to get back and defend quickly, right? That's just physics and Cantor's foot speed. Who can get back? Well, out there on the perimeter are Lillard and McCollum, but they're not defenders. Aside from an occasional CJ Steele, they're not going to stop anybody who's on the run or even be able to stop them when they pull up. They're just not capable. Uh, they, They don't have that kind of point of attack defense so now those three players are basically out of the defense 
Covington can get back. He's the one player who could make a difference, but he's one guy. Derek Jones Jr. would be the second guy, but what's he doing? He's either shooting a corner three, which, by the way, Covington sometimes is too, so he's all the way down on the baseline, or he's cutting down that baseline to try to get, you know, catch a pass and dunk it or whatever, which also puts him as far away from defensive position as is physically possible. So really, you have four players minimum taken out of the defensive play or incapable of defending. And Brooklyn saw it, and they said, get down the court before anybody gets back, basically before Covington and Jones can get set and we can get anything we want. And they did. They did. And this is this is the insoluble problem of the Blazers. It's not that they're bad. It's not that mostly it's not that they're not trying at times. It looks like they've kind of given up or lack energy. But even when they try, even when things go right in certain parts of their game, it's easy to see how to beat that. And I think good teams kind of, you know, take advantage. It's tough. We've got CJ McCollum is back. He was not as of our last podcast. So we, we've had him back, and I think he's coming back pretty well after an injury, I, I think. You know, I, I expect him to continue to fit right back in where he was, but it's it's nice to have him back. It's not a magical fix. Just because CJ's back doesn't mean that, you know, everything is wonderful again, but he, he's definitely a part of our team that we that we need. So it's good to have him back. I'm, I'm anxious for Nurk to come back. You know, his original injury that he was out for is no longer an issue. I guess it's another one that he sustained in practice, I think. Yeah, it's a calf now. But, right. but Dia, CJ coming back, what has it done except exacerbate the problem that we've talked about? Now, he has scored. He's had some good scoring games. He had a good scoring first quarter against the Nets. He hit like three three-pointers. Great. At the same time, you now take Gary Trent Jr. out of the lineup. Now, he's not exactly a Milwaukee Bucks-type defender, but he at least can move, and he yeah. goes at it hard. Yeah. He tries. He's better than CJ, right. frankly. You took him out. Now, if Trent is getting back, then maybe you have two players, or at least a chance with two players being able to inhibit a play. You don't have that anymore. How do you solve this defensive problem? The question is, can it be solved? Nurkic, you've tabbed. That's right. He will get back and he can do some things when he's mobile, but he wasn't mobile at the beginning of the year, but let's pretend he's going to be. Right. Uh, he That would make a difference. But you yep. still got those gaping holes in the backcourt. I mean, you got until that backcourt changes, it's going to be a really, really big ask for the Blazers to put together a lineup that is good offensively and good defensively. And I know what a good player C.J. McCollum is. We say this every time we talk about him. Mad respect for his game. He is one of the best offensive players this franchise has ever seen. Were he not playing next to Damian Lillard, he would be an era-defining guard and maybe still yeah. is. That said, this isn't getting better. And by the way, I hate to say it because CJ has historically given a lot more and is clearly a better player than Gary Trent Jr. or Anthony Simons. Clearly better. Miles better. But for this team this year, what changes with CJ back? What more do they get that counterbalances the lack of defense? And by the way, his enormous contract. What is he giving them that Trent and Simons were not? And I would argue that there is some advantage, but that advantage, the margin is small. And I would argue that we already said this, but I would reiterate that him coming back doesn't 
at least not right now, maybe in the playoffs it's different, but doesn't make this team better enough to justify pushing the other two to the bench, giving them no minutes, and it's not making the defense better. So right now I'm scratching my head as to why the Blazers shouldn't be thinking about trading him. I mean, here's the thing, and I don't know how well I'm going to be able to explain this, but this is my answer to your head scratching. And I know you know this. I'm not explaining this to you. But it's not as simple as just saying, you know, we want to trade TJ for somebody better. It's a matter of finding that opportunity. And I think we talked about before that CJ's value to the Blazers is not, they're not going to get for him what he's worth. And so when you look at our options, like what, what move do we make with CJ? Do you have a suggestion? Like, is there somebody, because right now when I'm looking at this and and I think we talked about this briefly, like, and it's even more true now a week later with the trade deadline being a week closer because moves have been made and players that I potentially thought would be a good fit for us have now been moved to other teams and are not an option anymore. And so you look at this and you look at what we have to trade, even if you open up the idea of trading CJ for who, for what? And, and I just don't see a good option there. So yeah, you know, maybe this isn't so much a matter of we're unwilling to trade him as it is what do we trade him for? What do we do with this? And I just don't, I don't see a good answer there. Do you? Would Orlando take him for Vucevic? I just don't, I don't like that. I, I mean, we talked, we touched on this on our article that's going to go up, but I guess by the time this podcast comes out, we will have already published that. But I don't like that move. That seems like, especially because it's not going to be a straight across trade. You know, it's not going to be a straight across trade. It can be. Their salaries are close. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. Vucevic will do better than Cantor. But to trade CJ for a player that's just going to do better than Cantor isn't enough for me. Like, then, who, you, then, so you trade, who, then you trade Nurkic in the offseason. You're no longer Nurk dependent. And ugh. then you, you get someone else. You could trade CJ and Nurk, your question marks. You believe in Simons and Trent. You keep both of your defensive forwards. Here's the thing for me. And looking, I guess, at the future of the team, which is an interesting thing because Trent and Simons obviously are younger. Again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't think Trent is stuck on being in Portland. So we can make all these moves and we can make all these trades and his contract can expire and he can decide he doesn't want to be here and go somewhere else. Give him money and and let him start. He'll stay. Give him money and let him start. He'll stay. That's what he's looking for somewhere else. And that's why he's not going to stay in Portland. But do you think... But do you think that that's it? Because there's a part of me that wonders if he just wants out of Portland. Well, if he wants out of Portland, it's because he can play. And he's shown that he can play. Now, I'm not saying that he is CJ's level. He's never going to be, probably. But he can defend better than CJ. And he can hit the three-pointer. And he works damn hard. And I like all those things as a shooting guard next to Damian Lillard with defensive forwards. I just don't think that CJ fits the same way on this team that he used to. And by the way, even when we he used to fit, we were speculating about this for some of these same reasons. But like, finally, the Blazers have an offensive guard in Simons and a defensive guard in Trent Jr. that tandemly can probably give you a lot of what CJ gave you. Finally, CJ is close to redundant in a way that he never was before. 
Also, the Blazers have got to do something or they're just going to run out the clock on this era. Now, I'm not saying you make a desperation move, but if you can get another big man who's legitimately doing really, really well, I would seriously consider this at this point because I can make up the difference at shooting guard. I can't make up the difference at center right now unless Nurk comes back real strong, real quick, and I don't know that that's going to happen. And by the way, I don't know that he's going to be healthy next year at this point. I don't know that he's going to resign with Portland because his contract is coming up and how much will the Blazers want to pay him compared to how much he thinks he's worth. So... If you can lock See, up Vucevic, he, I might do it. You can literally say that about anybody, though. You don't know anything. You don't know if anybody's. You don't know if Dame's going to be healthy this time next year. for the next three you years. People Contacts get moved around. Okay. People get moved around all the time. Like, honestly, I, the, to me, I just, like, you You can't guarantee that anyone's going to be healthy at this time. I don't think you make that move until you see how Nurk is going to do. Ah, this is such a hard thing for me because there's one side of my brain that thinks we need to make moves. We need to get defensive players. But there's another side of my brain that just struggles with how to make those moves. I don't think this is it. I don't think this is it. I think in C- both in CJ and in Nurk, you have two guys that want to be in Portland that I think will stay in Portland unless they don't have that option. I think both CJ and Nurk will stay in Portland over chasing money. I-, I could be wrong. That's what I think. And I do not see that in a player like Gary Trent Jr. And so to me, when I'm looking at this and I'm looking at we've got Dame in his prime this year, maybe next year, we've got a short window here. I don't want to risk making moves where guys are going to where, where we're going to be rebuilding next year because we lost Gary Trent Jr. to some other team and whatever. Like I just I to me to bank that much. I mean, we're we're mid-season right now. We're at the mid-season trade deadline. If we can't make some really solid move, I would not trade anybody away from our starting lineup right now unless it is a solid 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 shot at a championship run and I just don't think that's available. Even the trade you're suggesting, I don't think is that. So to me, why blow up that starting lineup that we have that's offensively solid and strong at at the chance that we might get better defense, but it might screw up other things. It just to me, my brain just can't I can't do it. I I just can't do it. I think we I think we waited out a little bit. I think obviously offense is not our issue. If we cannot pull in someone to significantly help on defense, then I say we wait it out and and hope that in the off season we can make some changes that are going to be good enough to come back and give it one more shot next year. Well, and let's be clear though, they're not going to trade CJ midseason. It's just not going to happen. No, they're Second not. of all, Vucevic probably wouldn't help the defense that much, but he would solidify the position so that you didn't have to worry about it uh, the same way you do now, which allows you more flexibility, as I said, with Nurkic. Actually, here's point number three. Nurkic is going to want money on his next contract because he signed relatively cheaply on his last one, and there aren't going to be that many more. He's going to look at his play before he was injured, and he's going to look at his potential, and he's going to ask for money. And I don't know. This is the impasse. I don't know if the Blazers, especially if they're close to the luxury tax, which they're always going to be now with those backcourt contracts, I don't know that they're going to want to pay it. And there may come a gap right there. But also, Gary Trent is a restricted free agent. 
So unless right. he wants to sign a one-year offer or, you know, to take up the qualifying offer and play out the year and then become unrestricted, the Blazers will be able to match whatever he's offered, which becomes a lot easier when CJ is, you know, if CJ is not there. Uh, that yeah. said, Vucevic, not much, though, because Vucevic, actually, I might make more. But then, again, you have other things to fiddle with in the offseason, maybe reducing that, or at least you have a year to make another move before you incur the luxury tax penalty. That said, I don't think they're going to make a move. I just think they should. Now, the big one that's been out there has been uh, Derek Jones Jr. And um, who else was it? Gary Trent, was it? I forget. And a pick for Orlando for Aaron Gordon. That's the trade. That's not the trade I heard that they were talking about. What was it? The one I heard involved Hood. Yeah, no, Hood was never on the table. I mean, we started early with Hood to balance the salaries. It became quickly apparent that that was too little to offer. So it was DJJ. It might have been Ant or it might have been Trent and also a pick. Now, it became apparent soon after that that if the rumors about what the Celtics are offering is true— that even that offer is low, that Orlando would be better off with a couple of picks, I don't think from, he's, couple sorry, of picks from the Celtics. Marcus Smart was on the table as well. Uh, they were trying to do Tristan Thompson, I believe, but Smart was the one that Orlando wanted and that Boston was putting in there. And that blows away Portland's offer unless, you know, the uh, Magic really want to dump salary or something like that. But even that, they're not really doing with those two players. So... I don't think the Blazers can get it done at this point, according and, to the rumors. But we'll if they see. could, it would cost too much. He's not worth that. He's not going to drastically change things enough that he's worth that big of a move. Jones I, I Jr. Would even, is, though? Derek huh? Jones Jr. is? Well, we're positing that they'd lose Gary Trent if CJ stays. Trent is right. not staying if CJ is here. I mean, I can. No, I agree. I guarantee that almost. I agree. So they're going to lose Trent anyway. The thing is, Derek Jones Jr. and a 2023 or 2024 first round draft pick. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think those draft picks are going to get more and more important because especially if we have to deal younger players right now in order to make ourselves contenders while we have Damon in his prime, 2023, 2024, we're going to need those draft picks because we're essentially going to be rebuilding a team because we're going to start. That's when these guys that we have now that are in their primes are going to start to phase out. And so we're going to need those picks. So trading away those picks to me is not just the kind of thing that you throw around. That has to be something that's really worthwhile. Also, Derek Jones Jr., I feel like people don't give him enough credit in what he's done um, and what he's doing for our team. I think he's a valuable asset for us. And I think he fits real well with what we're doing. And so I struggle with the, and and he plays defense. Like he actually is one of our defenders. We we just talked about that, you know, of, of the five, he's the one that you said is getting out. So, so to me, to trade away, to trade him away along with basically future picks of future young players that we're going to need for a possibility of somebody who could essentially do similar things to what he's already doing. Like, I, I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's a good move. I don't know. I mean, you know me and you know that I tend to err on the side of if it's not a really good move, don't mess it up. But in this case, I, I think Derek Jones Jr. is underrated. I don't think people give him enough credit. I think he I, I don't think he's one that we should be looking at trading. Honestly, I think he's when when you have a roster of 14 guys and three ish of them 
are your decent defenders and your defense is what's struggling, you don't look at trading those guys. You need to find another way to bring in the defense where you're adding to that, not taking it away. Yeah, but I wonder who's left now. I mean, Cantor is on expiring contract. So, well, and, that's, and, and CJ, we just said we didn't want to trade. Lillard but that's what I'm saying. Trade. So I guess that's you're what at I'm Anthony saying. Simons. Uh, that's be that's. The, that's my point is there's there's really not there are players that I would have been willing to trade some of these guys for that I would have been willing to say like yeah that's a move that's worth making we should do that but those aren't options anymore those guys have been moved around and so so to me it, it's I'm not opposed to trading CJ or Cantor or Gary Trent Jr. or Simons or Derek Jones Jr. like I there's there are very few people that I say no, you absolutely cannot trade that person. Dame, obviously, you don't trade Dame. Short of that, I would say you have to be open to having those conversations. The, I'm not saying that there are no circumstances under which I think we should trade CJ. I don't think that this is the time. I personally hope we never trade him, but I, I think that's a conversation you have to be willing to have simply because of how big his contract is and, and because we need to make some changes, obviously. But what I am saying is that at this point, at this mid-season trade deadline with a week, less than a week left before it's over, there's not a lot of moves left. And I don't think there are moves that are worth trading away Derek Jones Jr. and CJ. Well, here's the problem, though, is that according to rumors, and again, these are rumors, who knows, but they, they it seems to be pretty solid. The package that we don't want to give away because it's too dear to us, it's actually not enough to get the guy you don't want to trade them for. You know right, what I mean? Which is what, that's but my point. That they're, it's, it's not, there's a value imbalance here. And I think that at some point, the Blazers are going to have to not value every single player that Neil Olshay has drafted or that they think is the, has been the core of this team so dang highly because the rest of the league is not valuing those players that but highly. But that's my point, Dave. That's my point. I'm not valuing CJ because Olshay drafted him. I'm not valuing him. I, I like the, none of this for me right now. I know that I tend to be attached emotionally. I know that I tend, I know we've been over that a million times. I am speaking simply from a game standpoint, looking at this game and looking at who we have and what our options are. I think that CJ as a blazer is more valuable than people are going to, than, than his trade value. I think he does more for us on our team than he does in a trade package as of this moment, this midseason trade deadline. I mean, fair I point, don't but think Derek Jones Jr., that's a stretch. Um, Dude, but, but is it, though? Because, again, we're talking about one of the few players that's playing good defense for us. So if we trade him to get another player that's playing defense, we still only have a few players that are playing defense. Yeah, we yeah, need but, to add more. But Aaron Gordon has been an all-NBA-level defense when he was healthy. Granted, he is not now, and who knows if he will be, but he's still very young. He has also won a dunk contest, and also he shoots threes better than DJJ. So... I mean, there are reasons to but it's make. Not, that's this not kind a straight across trade. That's not a straight across trade. You're not trading Derek Jones Jr. Well, for but Aaron Gordon. Gary Trent Jr. doesn't count if we keep CJ. It's literally nothing after after May. It's it's nothing. And again, but, we but don't until May. Until May, until we're not May, arguing that Gary Trent no, Jr. is going to win us a championship. So what's no, but the we difference? are arguing that he's one of the few players that we have that plays defense. And so if you're taking two 
of our basically three defensive players and packaging them in a trade for one defensive player, the math doesn't work out there. First it of all, work. He, he, Gordon is potentially a better defensive player, and also you're looking toward next year when Gary Trent won't be here anyway. And also, it does make a difference in terms of having that kind of fit Having that kind of premier defender, if he can recover into that, in that gonna, position right now, is better than having two guys who can kind of defend, which honestly is what Trent and Jones Jr. are. They're better than what we have, but they're not world beaters because the difference is then you've got that position solidified. Then you've got that power forward slot. It's taken care of. Then you start to look at what else have you got. If Nurkic is healthy, you got the center spot taken care of. Okay, those two are there. Now you've got to replace a small forward. And now, I mean, does Nasir Little do that, by the way? Because he's not probably not a horrible defender. He actually was pretty good his rookie year. He just hasn't had the minutes. And by the way, even Gary Trent Jr., if you look at the small shooting guard position, which is what this doesn't address, which is why they should think about trading CJ. What's Gary Trent Jr. done now that CJ's back? He's slumping. He's just almost instantly around CJ coming back. Gary Trent Jr., all of a sudden, his three-point shot is not falling. He's not making a huge impact on the game. He's not looking good. And that's why this won't work. And that's why you either trade him or trade CJ. And you, if you keep them both to the bitter end, you let one of them go for nothing. That it doesn't make sense. So I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather have Gordon than Jones Jr. and Trent Jr. if you're not going to trade CJ. Because at least you've got the potential of having a premier defender. There's at least a potential to get better. Keeping Derek Jones Jr. and not keeping Gary Trent Jr., there's no potential there to get really that much better. But you're saying that that's not a trade that's going to happen. That that Derek Jones Jr., Gary Trent Jr., and a future pick, which I think we need to hold on to, are not going to be enough for Aaron Gordon. Agreed on the pick. But uh, the, the pick is the sketchy part because they already p- paid one to get Covington, so they can't trade 2022 um, it's, unless they can put it. They basically got to put a writer on it that says if this happens and that happens, and it's not likely. It's probably a 2023 right. pick or 2024, which is I'm right saying. when the Blazers get lousy. That said, they've got to do something like this. They just, but they can't. But the, but this is not this is not an option. Like we're we're talking about we're talking about. I mean, to make this a realistic option to actually get Aaron Gordon, what you're suggesting isn't going to work. Maybe. I mean, you're you're probably right. We said that at the top. But if the Boston thing doesn't come through and the Blazers have a chance to pull the trigger, they need to do it. Because it doesn't make sense to me that— I'm iffy. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that, like, we won't even give up the low-value offer for Gordon. He's not his healthy self. I agree. I agree. Two, that pick— is not just a throwaway piece of the discussion. I think that's an important part of the discussion. And and so if, if you were to tell me that Aaron Gordon was healthy and we were going to trade Derrick Jones Jr. And, and Gary Trent Jr. across straight across the board for him, then okay, okay, I, c- I could get on board with that. Well, at least but that's not that. what we're saying. But, the, but, but that's not what we're saying. We're saying also a pick that I think we need to hold on to. And we're getting a guy that is not predictable. We don't know what's going to happen with him. We don't know how he's going to play. We don't know if he's going to be what we need him to be. And and so to me, sometimes, I don't think I'm going to say this right, but the evil that you know is better than the evil that you don't. Is yep, that right? And, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And there's where, but, we, there's where we differ. Because you know what? 
We know how this game ends. We know how this road ends if it doesn't change. And it ends in a polite golf clap. It ends in Jersey retired for Damian Lillard and maybe for CJ McCollum. And it ends in no rings. It ends in, especially if like, if especially if Trent leaves, if Gary Trent Jr. leaves for nothing, there is no possibility that that is a positive step for the Blazers. Zero. And that's exactly how this season ends. And you don't get forward by taking a backward step. I'm not saying that we should hold on to Gary Trent Jr. I mean, I, I, I did use that in that discussion we were just saying but i i said over and over and over again i think we need to let him go i think we need to find a trade but i just don't think that this is it and that's what i'm saying is such is such a frustrating part of this right now is that i don't think there's a good option that it's not a good option to hold on to him and let him just walk it's not a good option to lose that value it's also in my opinion not a good option to trade for aaron gordon what we would have to give up to get him because what you're suggesting is 99 percent probably not going to be enough my percentages are are very technical here i don't think it's going to be enough and so to me like there's just that's part of why it feels so frustrating right now because we're watching this team needing some some help we're watching that we need to make a move i agree with you there i think a move needs to be made where i'm getting frustrated and discouraged is I don't know what the heck that move is because I don't think we can offer what they're going to want for, for Gordon, especially like you said, with the Celtics coming in with what they're coming in with. I don't think we're going to be able to get him. And if we could, I mean, I, I said at the beginning of this, I, I, I've kind of shifted, but I, you could argue that it might be worth it. But I just, I'm just looking at this and thinking like, there's just, there's not a good solution here. And it's really frustrating. Well, can we admit then, that this is what we've said it's been for the last few years since 2016 minimum i think there were mistakes before this by the way but 2016 summer of 2016 which was one of their two chances to alter the future of this franchise and the future of the Lillard era and then the 2017 draft which was their other opportunity the blazers are penned in now they're penned in needing too much and being able to offer too little. And basically their offers are coming in second best, even for moves that don't really, as if from your argument, don't really make them that much better. Like you can't even afford the 1% chance. And you're looking at this right now, or we're looking at this right now, and it's basically a 0% chance of a championship happening right now. And if there's a 1% chance, we can't afford to buy into the 1% chance at some point something's gone off the rails here and this frustration should not be happening now injuries are a part of it we don't know what would have happened if Yusuf Nurkic had never been injured but at the same time this is not an accident this is the the three and four years on from moves that were meant to perpetuate the value of this roster and absolutely did not and now you really really need to push the pedal and there's no gas in there there's no there's nothing to fuel it uh and you're just kind of stuck puttering along at the same speed you were before i mean i i don't know it's this is this is a hard thing for me because there's the innate part of me that is just always thinking there's a possibility. There's always a possibility. Really, if you look at the teams that we're up against, we I think we could take most of those teams in a seven-game series. Now, there's exceptions, but even with those exceptions, it's possible. It's not impossible. 
And I always hold on to that. And so it's really hard to be watching this and night after night after night to watch them struggle with the same things and want a solution, but feel like there's not a good, there's, I just don't see it right now. And, and maybe it's there and maybe I'm missing it. It's also frustrating because I think there were people who could have been really good. I brought up PJ Tucker more than once. I think he would have been a great move for us. I think that's somebody that really could have been helpful. And so you, you see stuff like this. You see this trade deadline coming and you wonder, because obviously we're not privy to all the little ins and outs of things that are going on behind the scenes. We don't know what they've tried and what they haven't tried. But it's frustrating to watch seemingly just sit there and wait. (laughs) It takes a lot for me to get frustrated and feel down about things. And of all the years, we're actually, I mean, we're in a good position right now. So you wouldn't think that this would be the time that I would feel frustrated, but I feel frustrated because I really just want to see this happen. In the end, I agree with you in that you don't make a move now unless you really do think it makes you better. I mean, you can't you can't just go out and make a move. And if you really don't think Aaron Gordon's the guy, you don't make a move for Aaron Gordon. You know, I mean, that's that's the long and the short of it. But I think that this frustration is well-placed because I think that it's almost bitter irony here that the record is 25 and 18, which is good for third in the conference and what, sixth or so in, I'm sorry, sixth in the conference, third in the division. Uh, you're looking up at Utah now, who is doing what the Blazers dreamed of doing. You're looking at Denver that the Blazers are in a dogfight with, and you're going like, okay, that's a lot of odds even within our own division, let alone the Lakers or the Clippers or everybody else, the Suns. Yes, they're doing really well, but there's an irony to it that you're still in the middle of this pack and it's still such a hard fight to get there. And there's still not enough in the bank to make decisive moves. And it's still not happening for them. And the success is almost ironic. Oh, and by the way, the big one still have the 28th or 29th ranked defense in the entire league okay out of 30 and you're watching the nets just run them up and down the court the uh, skeleton version of the nets you're watching the mavericks beat them by 40 even though you beat the mavericks the night before still it's harsh to watch teams come in and just score so easily because you know that's going to catch up to you at some point we've seen it before there's the frustration it's 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 frustrating to be 25 and 18 and say this is so close and let and yet you know with the certainty of people who have been through it again and again that the other shoe always drops if you can't defend and if your lineups aren't solid LeBron James is injured and now first of all I just want to say before we get into this we never wish injury on anyone ever no matter how much they irritate us as Lakers we never ever ever wish injury anytime an athlete is injured it's devastating For many reasons, you know, sometimes people don't come back from that. Sometimes they do and it's different. And, you know, a lot of times they come back and they're fine. But especially, I think, as a team who has struggled so much with injury, we know what that feels like and we never wish that. Um, And personally, for me, as someone who's incredibly competitive, if we're going to win, I want to win fair and square. I don't want to win and have people say, well, this person was injured and that person was injured. All of that being said, LeBron is injured. He sprained his ankle, I believe, is the injury. You know, the Lakers are going to 
struggle here a little bit, I think, because Anthony Davis is already out. He's already injured. An ankle sprain will probably have him out, what, a month maybe? Yeah, so I mean, for, there's for speculation back and forth, but they're going to be without they're going to be without both their bigs for a while. Yeah. So it, it's it's a devastating blow to the Lakers. It's an interesting piece of this MVP narrative. You know, there have been several players at the beginning of the year. There were several players that were kind of in the MVP run and the and the talks of this and obviously dame is one of them he was not necessarily at the top of the pack although he has been getting more and more national attention that being said lebron obviously was at the front runner was one of the front runners of that and now with this happening it makes me wonder you know really who's left joel Embiid is he hurt yeah he's injured as well he's injured so that may impact Um, his ability so we're talking about who? Who's left in this, Jokic in this conversation? Jokic is always Jokic, a perpetual. Yeah. And, and wherever Embiid is mentioned, Jokic will be too. Nikola yeah. Jokic in Denver, of course. Uh, James Harden is the other one. And yeah. his transformation as he has gone to the Nets, especially with the passing and whatever. And by the way, I can hear our naysayers like, oh, he could have done that. In, he would not have done that in Portland. No. He's doing James that Harden. in the Nets because... Durant is yeah. there, you know. It wouldn't. It would not have been the same Harden that we're seeing. That that was a good fit for him. And when, that was and a good fit for him. By the way, why is that happening? Because he has the ball in his hand. I mean, literally. Yeah. Let's put it this way: if he if that had happened in Portland, it would have been directly taking the ball out of Dame's hands. So, still a no go for me. Anyway, yeah. uh, Harden is in, probably at or near the top at this point, and Jokic is at or near the top. Embiid, if he comes back well, will be at or near the top. I don't think. Dame cracks that discussion probably unless something turns around. But I think that this will open the door a little bit more. I mean, possibilities are certainly there. Uh, LeBron gets overlooked anyway. Uh, So, I mean, how many MVPs has he won? Three? Uh, Which is a lot, but I I think it's two, two or three. It's a lot of MVPs, but he really could win it every year. And I don't think he's going to this year now. I tend to think that Dame has a shot here. I mean, of course I do. But I I think if the Blazers can hold it together and and get a a, a decent seed and Dame continues playing the way he does, I, I think he can have a shot. Now, granted, I personally think LeBron still has a shot. I mean, it's a it's a small injury. You know, we've talked about the fact that at the beginning of the season, people forget this, but Dame wasn't really playing to Dame's full potential at the beginning of the season. CJ really was carrying a lot of that team. And so, you know, how quickly we forget that now that he's playing as well as he is. But I, I think that there's a lot of factors that go into this. And I don't think that an injury that takes a player out for a few weeks or a rough start to a season or whatever. I don't necessarily think that that's something that takes him out of the running. So I think LeBron will probably continue to be in the running, but I do think that him being out for a few weeks is probably going to build the talk of Dame and and that and and I'm happy that even if he doesn't actually win that he's at least getting some recognition for what he's doing because I think he deserves that. He's a he's a heck of a player. And he's really done well. And he's it, there are lots of times where he carries the team on his back. And I think that he deserves that recognition. Scary thing, of course, is what happens if Dame gets banged up. And every game, it seems there's something. A knee, hand, yeah. uh, holding his side. I mean, he takes he's played a lot of minutes and he takes a lot of beating. And kudos to him, by the way. Uh, when the three-pointer isn't falling, he's been taking it to the rack a lot. 
lately. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, taking charges, yeah. knocking himself on his butt. I'm pretty sure he's actually made of steel because, I, I mean, I don't know how many times a season I think, oh my gosh, Dame's hurt. And then he gets up and he limps around for a minute and he goes right back to playing normal. You're going to have to drag that man off the court on a stretcher if he ever stops playing. He will not take himself out of a game. And we will not wish for that at all, having seen no, it before with no. Nurkic. But, uh, yeah, and this will, this will be the thing. I don't think that's going to stop. I, I, I think this is going to be a normal part of Lillard's career from now on. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he's past 30. You know, it might be more pronounced at some times than others, but midway through his season. And by the way, he's always had a little bit of this. There's always been midseason slumps and what have you and nagging injuries and fatigue. But I, I, that doesn't get easier with time. So I think if he's going to have a shot, this is it. I don't mean he'll never have another one, but this is literally probably his best chance. Right. So, you know, I hope he gets close. I hope he gets discussed. The more interesting thing for me is what happens to the Lakers. Can they hold it together knowing that they basically brought in everybody else on the team, except for maybe Dennis Schroeder, to complement their two stars? And without those two stars, it's a shell of a team. And the question is, do they then slip? Can they slip to sixth, seventh, whatever? Because it's close. I mean, their people are bunched up. So... I, I, would it hurt my feelings to see the Lakers have to do a play-in series? It would not. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Uh, I I think they're going to start to fall a little bit. I think that's a team that for a very long time has been dependent on superstars. And I think that they are to have both LeBron and Anthony Davis out is, is a huge hit. I think that's obviously going to affect and impact their play. And this is where I think that the mental part of the game comes in so much because you have a team, obviously this is a Blazers podcast. So I'm going to use the Blazers as an example, but you have a team like the Blazers who loses CJ and Nurk and Zach and actually continues to do better than anybody thought that they would. And I think a lot of that honestly comes from, I think the Blazers are a very strong mentally, mentally, I think they're a very strong team. I think their heads are in the game. I think they're focused. I think they want it. I think the Lakers without the leadership there of LeBron and Anthony Davis on the court are going to struggle a little bit more. I think they're a team that needs that. And granted, we didn't lose Dame. If Dame had gone down, it might've been a different narrative. Losing Dame and CJ would have been more equivalent to to what they're dealing with, or Damon Nurk, maybe. I think it's going to impact them more so than it would maybe a different team. I think I think they're going to struggle. Yeah, I that mean, being it's Le- said, it's LeBron. I mean, you can't right. replace LeBron with anything. No, no. That being said, as long as they make it into the playoffs, I think they'll be fine. They're they're not the kind of team that is going to struggle against most other. I mean, I mean, they're they're one of the top teams in the league they're they'll they're not going to most likely go out in the first round they're no. going to make their way in assuming that those players are healthy by then you want them playing as many games as possible against as tough an opponent as possible though and many many yep. chances to lose it yep. so uh yeah i mean i that would not hurt my feelings and you know part of it with portland too is why they succeeded is obviously they had young players who were underutilized or hadn't had their chance yet. And so they had more in reserve. LA has gone for the veteran route, of course, because that's what they should do. And other than, you know, Kyle Kuzma, there's probably not a ton there. I mean, Caruso, maybe that uh, you, you just, 
you, you don't have a deep well to draw on there. They're they're maxed out on their potential. So yeah, it's two different situations. But you know that said, could the Blazers get a little more veteran? Going back to our other conversation, you tell me you can't get me a Javale McGee. You t- you telling me you can't sign Demarcus Cousins when he's waived? You you, t- you tell me that? Can you give me a little bit of something, Blazers? Come on. Anyway, so yeah, I think that's an interesting development and certainly bunches up the West more. Um, the big yeah. wild card, of course, will be. Utah. Well, Phoenix is partially too, but what does Utah do in the playoffs? Are they able to sustain that success in the postseason? If they are, it's going to be really tough. But if a lot of national pundits, probably because they just don't believe in Utah, uh, you know, because they're not the Clippers. If it was Clippers playing like Utah did, the pundits would be absolutely over the moon about them because it's Salt Lake City. They're like, eh, they're going to fall apart. That said, if the national pundits are right, this becomes now, I think, a wide open West if the Lakers are seated lower. I still think the Lakers have the inside track, but if they're not the number one, number two, or upper bracket seed, then it becomes much more interesting, I think. Yeah. And I mean, of all years, this is the year for it not to matter because you're not dealing with the same home court advantage that you would in a normal non-COVID year, you know. That we know of. I mean, they're starting to open up. It may change by May, but But we'll see. By May, we're not going to have full stadiums, though. I would be shocked if we had full. Yeah. So, I mean, a full Moda Center is an advantage for the Blazers. And so I think this, this year because most likely I'm assuming that we will not have full stadiums, that home court advantage is not going to be quite as much of an advantage as it has been in the past. So I don't think seating is going to matter quite as much as it normally would. I do think that that having the play in is going to be interesting because that's going to wear out those teams. And if, if somehow the Lakers drop to that point where they have to do a play in and they're essentially the what seventh, eighth seed, mm-hmm. and they're having to take on the first seed in the first round after just having played a play in tournament. Like that could really cause them issues, especially with guys coming back from injuries and things like that. That could take the Lakers out. I mean, if they do it like last year, it would just be a play in game if the Lakers win it. But the hope is that they lose that first game and then it gets interesting. And then after that, they have to go on to the rough seed and, you know, whatever. But you know who needs to stay out of that playoff, by the way, uh, play in tournament is the Blazers. Because unless the defense gets better, look, the Blazers advantage is any given game, they can kind of win by scoring a lot. But any given game, they can easily lose by not defending well. The way to fix that is to minimize the game against teams that are bad. Good teams, like you're not going to be anyway, so you take those extra games, give yourself extra shots. But you sure don't want to be playing teams below you with that defense because that means the teams below you have a shot at beating you. So Portland just stays six seed in north and we'll be happy. Terry Stotts, obviously our head coach, had his 500th win that's significant. I think it's something worth mentioning. It seems like Rip City's kind of split on Stotts right now. We've made no secret of the fact that on this podcast, we like him and think that he's he's been a good coach. So I, you know, regardless of what we think and regardless of what anyone else thinks, 
500 wins is is an accomplishment that should be celebrated. I think it's been fun this season to get to watch records be broken. You know, Mello's broken a bunch of records. Dame's broken a bunch of records. And it's cool to see milestones and things like this happen. So congratulations to our coach, to Coach Terry Stotts on his 500th win. If you did not see the video of the team celebrating in the locker room, you're missing out. Go look it up. It's on all the Trailblazers social media. You can find it there. It was great. So well, congratulations. What you need to do here is rewind back to 2012. Forget right now. 2012, when Terry was hired, our take at Blazer's Edge was, well, you know, so far he's been a pretty mediocre coach, journeyman at best. There's no knowing. We're going to have to see. He's going to have to prove himself here. That take was by far the most positive in the market, okay? Outside of Blazers headquarters themselves, that take, our take was glaringly positive compared to what most people were saying, which is what in the heck are the Blazers doing and why hired this guy? And oh my gosh, he's quote unquote failed at two other places despite him having no rosters there. And that's what we said too. It's impossible to know what kind of coach he is with the kind of rosters he had. Nobody was going to win with those uh, or at least not win much. So we'll see. Now, fast forward to now. I mean, obviously, the vast majority of those 500 wins have come in Portland since 2012 for the last nine yeah, years. Yeah, I think it was like 300 and some. I mean, it was a it was a large number Huge. that were from Portland. And looking ahead in 2012, if you could have predicted, would you take that? The answer would have been, oh, heck, yes, we will. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you can say what you want about him, but um, he has... He's won while he's been here, and I think that there's there's something to be said for that. So it's a big milestone to hit, and I think it's just it's it's a it's a cool thing to get to witness. And I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in, well, we want this, we want this, you know, well, what move can we make here? What move can we make here? But I think it's really important, especially in this current phase of the Blazers team to remember things like we're getting to watch Damian Lillard play basketball night after night after night after night. That's a huge deal. Damian Lillard is someone who is going to go down in franchise history as being one of the best Blazers, if not the best Blazer to ever have put on the uniform. And we get to witness his greatness. This is stuff we're going to tell our kids about. And Carmelo Anthony, you know, I think about that sometimes that we get to witness Carmelo Anthony as a Portland Trailblazer. And I know that he can be controversial sometimes too, but regardless of what you think of him, it is really, really cool to get him to get to see him suit up. Same thing with CJ. Like you said, you know, CJ doesn't get as much recognition because he's playing alongside Dame. It kind of reminds me, even though they were on different teams of, of the Clyde Drexler era, because he played with Michael Jordan. If Michael Jordan hadn't been in the league at the same time as Clyde Drexler, Clyde Drexler would have gotten so much more recognition because he was an incredible player. I think about that a lot with CJ. You know, CJ's a really good player and he doesn't get as much recognition because he's playing alongside Dame. And so, you know, we get to watch him play night after night after night. We get to watch this team of players that are fantastic and entertaining and fun to watch. And so regardless of our record, regardless of who you think we should trade or keep or whatever, I think it's important to remember at the end of the day, because basketball should be fun, (laughs) that we are getting to witness greatness. We are getting to witness a really, really fun team to watch. So that's my rainbows and unicorns speech for now. (laughs) If greatness is three pointers, we're getting overflowing greatness. So yeah. 
Well, when we talk again, we will know whether the roster is changed or unchanged. I look forward to that and debating whether or not no move was a good move or whatever move they made was a good move. Until then, for Dia Miller, I am Dave Deckard. And find us, tell friends about the podcast and all that stuff. And we will see you again next week. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop. But then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent.